Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. edition of the Terry's Talking Podcast with Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, and me, your host, David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com. I got a big announcement, Terry. Yes. At the end of this podcast, in recognition for our achievement, we're all going to get rings and trophies, like okay. at NBA Summer League. <laughs> well, if we were doing it in Vegas, they might have given it to us, because after all, it's, it's Vegas. They just do stuff big. That's right. Over the top. So we'll be giving out rings to. Yeah, my scribbles. That's what I wrote. It's like it sounded over the top. but Hey, that's where they played it. (laughs) All right. Well, this is a Cleveland sports podcast. So we're going to get into some Guardians and and Cavs and some Browns. Uh, I wanted to mention real quick, Terry, we're taping this on Tuesday, the 18th of July. One week from tonight on July 25th, you're going to be at the Ritter Library in Vermilion, if I remember correctly, right? Yes. Yeah. It's a six o'clock start. Um, I, you may want to make sure you register. I heard the crowd's going to be pretty good because uh, I've been blessed. They all have been at a terrific crowd uh, well, last time. And uh, so we'll see. Cool. And before I forget, I do want to mention Terry has a newsletter that we started a couple of months ago now. If you want to sign up for that, make sure you get everything that Terry has written. Just go to cleveland.com slash newsletters. And also, Terry, we want to give a quick shout out to Hugh Hewitt, the yep. longtime uh, radio and TV personality. He is also a columnist, and he's a huge Cleveland sports fan. He's been such a friend of Cleveland.com's podcast over the years, and I know he's a big fan of yours, Terry. Yeah, I've known Hugh a long, long time. He's from Warren originally, and loves Cleveland sports. And even those who uh, may not like him politically have to say, well, when it comes to the sports, he wants all the Cleveland teams to win. He grew up with them. And Hugh mentioned, um, a column I run on Gettysburg. He mentioned the podcast uh, in one of his recent works. So we're thrilled about that. Hugh, keep listening. Yeah, and Hugh's a big Cleveland sports fan, and, and we appreciate all the support he's given us. So, all right, Terry, let's get into it here. Uh, I figured we'd start with the Guardians today since things are happening quickly with this team. Yeah. They're, uh, they're 46 and 48, a game and a half behind the Twins in the division. Uh, we got a quick letter here from our longtime listener, Neil in Jamestown, New York. He says, Hey Terry, I was reminded of a Bill Parcells quote when thinking about the guardians. You are what your record says you are. That sums it up for me. Uh, it's been a, it's been a weird season in so many ways. Uh, where are you at with this team? How do you think they're going to fare in terms of winning this division? Are you feeling like they can still do it? 
Well, if I were to tell you that last year, Cal Quantrill, Tristan McKenzie, and Shane Bieber made all their starts, and that this year, none of them are making all, anything close to all their starts. In fact, there isn't a single guy in the rotation who's going to come anywhere near making all of his starts. And if you just begin with that right there, you know the team is in trouble. I don't care how many rookies you have coming up. It's just you need that starting rotation. Part of the reason the bullpen is struggling is last year, I believe, the Guardians started through the second most innings in the American League, which meant the bullpen you know, didn't have to pitch as much. This year they're like right in the middle of the pack or even slightly below innings pitch, which means you're going to the bullpen more often. So if you knew those two pieces right there before you get into the fact that they're struggling to score runs, um, you would say, okay, uh, they're probably in trouble. I mean, if you look at – all right, what players would you say have exceeded expectations, David? You mean uh, the, Guardians, the whole sure. roster? Not yeah. not just pitchers, but the whole yeah. roster? Uh, I would say Josh Naylor. Okay. To start at the top of the list. I mean, he's above where he would be. Um, boy, <laughs> after that's, that, like That's why it's I asked tough. the question. Yeah. yeah. Maybe Will Brennan. Um, and then you go on the pitching staff. I mean, I guess you could say some of the rookie pitchers because you weren't counting on them, but that falls into the category of uh, you're forcing them to pitch because all the other guys are hurt. And even when Bieber was pitching the last six weeks, you know, he was not anywhere close to Bieber form. And so it's that's why, to me, that the fact they're a couple games under 500 is pretty remarkable. And to Neil's point, uh, they actually might be worse than a record if you look at how things have gone. You know, Jose's having another big-time Jose year, and he may end up having a better year this year because, remember, last year he played with, with the broken hand broken hand or bone in his hand for two months. So, But Mayor and he, that's about it. I just, you know, Quan's below what he did below there. Rosario is. Um, it's just hard to uh, – Oscar Gonzalez is in the minors – you still don't get any offense out of the catching. I'm just thankful I don't have to watch Zanino anymore. I really <laughs> am. And I think, you know, Bo's got a chance to be pretty good over time. But he's a rookie catcher, and he's going to have rookie moments. And, I mean, there was a weird pass ball even in yesterday's game where I'm not sure what he was looking at. So, Terry, going back to the Bieber situation, with him, he had his uh, arm looked at by a, a top specialist in um, – when they were in Texas the other day, that the Rangers team uh, specialist looked at it. They said, we don't need, you know, they can rehab it. He might be back. But this injury, I want to talk about it in two ways. First of all, what it means for the Guardians' chances of trading Shane Bieber. And the second part I want to look is like what it's already doing to the team, the fact that he's been hurt. But in terms of the first one, what does this do to Shane Bieber's trade value in terms of what the Guardians could get or, or if they even can move him with the trade deadline coming up on August 1st? Well, the simple way to answer that is suppose you were a team considering training for Beaver and you're considering it on the fact that you would want him to pitch this year. Would you want to trade for Beaver? David? No. Exactly. Yeah. That's your answer. That's your answer. So that messes up whatever hope the Guardians have trading him and perhaps – whatever hope 
Shane had of being traded now to get to a new team, possibly establish himself, and then get a bigger contract. Because I mean, unless he comes back and has a dynamite September, he's not going to be really in a position, I think, whether it's here or what to for anybody to say, I want to go and commit $100 million to this guy, because why would you? So it's a tough thing on Shane also. It, it's like the worst time for him to come up with the elbow injury. And elbow injuries are always scary, even though they say this one is just in some inflammation. It's going to be fine because the minute you hear elbow injury, what do you think, David? Tommy John. Yep. yep. It's like it is Tristan McKenzie just delaying the inevitable with his. I mean, it's hard to know. Um, but it does seem like when you are in that elbow area, they end up just saying, let's just go have the surgery because the rehab process is now almost 18 months, but the success rate is pretty good. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that and he can no. get back on the mound with this uh, this rehab. But the, uh, I was thinking about Sunday's game, Terry, and that loss to the Rangers, a 6-5 loss, is one of those where if they don't win the division, they're going to look back at it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's going to be one that, that they wish they would have had. But I kept thinking about Shane Bieber during that loss. And the reason was is because you're Terry Francona. You, you've got to finish this series in Texas. And then on the next day, on Monday, you know you have a bullpen game where you're going to start Curry for three innings and then just hand the ball off to one guy after another. And they go into the eighth inning up five to two in Texas on Sunday. And Trevor Steffen is pitching. And if you just go back and look at the play-by-play, like if you're a fan, you're thinking, why didn't Tito pull him, right? I am So like Leody Tavares flies out, one out, all right? Steffen walks Marcus Simeon, and then he walks Corey Seager. And if you're sitting in the dugout, you have to be thinking, all right, this is going to get interesting. Do we have to pull him, all right? Low singles to center to make it 5-3. Garcia doubles to left to make it 5-4. And they still left Stefan in the game. And I'm thinking, this is not like, like Tito will go to the bullpen like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and But this bullpen game, I think, was weighing on him. And I think he waited longer than he wanted to. And then the uh, young singles to left for two runs and they lose 6-5. to five. Um, I don't think he would have hung with him that long if if he had Shane Bieber to go to this week and didn't have a bullpen game, it would have fed back into Sunday's game and he could have gone to somebody sooner instead of hanging with Trevor Steffen. Does that sequence make sense to you the way I just laid that out? It it does. And the other possibility there, he had been wanting to actually get Classe in a game. So he was trying to hold him to the ninth, but now he hasn't done it this year, but last year, a few times he did pitch him, you know, multiple innings, at least like one and two thirds or whatnot. And that would have been a possibility there where you could have had class A start warming up, maybe at the second walk, because he only needs 10 or 12 throws to be ready. And then you bring him in and hope he gets you out of that jam and then hand him over for the ninth. Because when you do your bullpen game, you're going to be holding class A out for the ninth inning anyway. So, I think to an extent it was there, but the bigger issue was he just decided, I'm going to see if Stefan could get out of his funk and get out of the jam. And right now he is in a really bad situation. They don't know what to do with that eighth inning. And I saw, I think Paul Hoynes had a story uh, with everybody's ERA in the eighth inning. They were all like five. 
because they had the, the, the De Los Santos and you had um, Karen Sheck who's in the minors now. And then you had Stefan and none of them have been very good in the eighth. And it's an underappreciated spot for any team, like getting to that ninth inning. If you don't get to the ninth inning with the lead, you can't bring in your closer. And so they, they don't have a lot of options. They really don't at this point. It's interesting, David, that, well, there's two things. Roberta, my wife mentions to me, she goes, I remember when closers pitched more than one inning, which is very true. But all right, we won't go down the old road. <laughs> um, but that that was one. But the other is that, I think in some ways the eighth inning of some of these guys psychologically is getting fairly close to the ninth because there's some pride that count holds now. And, and along with the staffs for saves, it isn't quite prominent in the media, but they do look at it for how you're being paid value to the team. You know, hold is Stefan comes in, say he gets out of that inning and it's what five to two or whatever going into the ninth, he gets credit for a hold. And he had a lot of holes last year. Right now, I believe he is like two out of six in save situations. They also count that as a save situation when you come in. So it's been uh, it's been a rough go. I mean, they gave the guy a multi-year contract, not particularly expensive, figuring he could become an eighth inning guy, and he hasn't done it. And that, that's the other thing when we're talking about the start of the year. If I were to tell you, Karen checks in the minors, uh, Stefan's blowing up. You would think, I mean, really, this sounds like a team that's 10 to 15 games under 500. Yeah, it's amazing. And they, they always squeeze the most out of whatever they mm-hmm. have. It's 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 incredible. So, uh, Terry, you, we were talking about uh, Xavier Curry. I wanted to mention real quick, we have a letter, a Hey Terry letter that came in from Bruce Scarpacy. I hope I said your name right, Bruce, from Ellington, Florida. It's either Scarpacy or Scarpacci. I'm not sure. But thanks for sending this in, Bruce. He says, hey, Terry, I really enjoyed your column on Xavier Curry. And it left me with one question. Since he has done so well as a long reliever, why isn't he being considered to take Shane Bieber's spot while he's out injured? This, they could easily slide Hunter Gaddis into the long reliever slot. Um, thanks for that, Bruce. T- Terry, your your column about Curry was, boy, talk about an underdog story. I think that was mm-hmm. your headline, but he's really come out of nowhere. How should they be using him? What do you think is the best role for him? He started the bullpen game yesterday on Monday and threw 39 pitches and got them sailing along in their 11 nothing victory in Pittsburgh. So what do you see him doing? I believe that they're fearful are going to have to have more bullpen games. So they need somebody who could go three innings at least to start. Secondly, they're fearful that now Logan Allen's up, he's going to start, Bybee um, and your uh, Gavin Williams, that these guys are going to be five and fly, you know, that they're probably – use up their pitch count in five innings and they may need Curry to pitch the sixth and seventh. And he's actually pitching well. He's one of the guys pitching well out of the bullpen. So I think they just don't want to mess with it. And in a, in a sense, he will be starting because I think he's going to start these bullpen games if they go to that. Cause I don't know who else you would do it. Well, and Hunter Gaddis, by the way, be nice if he was pitching well, but last time I looked, he had a seven ERA in triple a, and they were very high on him in spring training. They thought perhaps he had figured some stuff out. But uh, he pitched. Remember, he pitched a couple of good games early in the year for Cleveland. But for the most part, it was it was pretty ragged. So they need some arms, some pitching help. They need an outfield bat. 
and we have the trade deadline coming up on August 1st. What is your gut telling you, Terry, in terms of whether they will make a deal for some something or do they Maybe. have to or is it something they want to do? Oh, they want to, but it's like, who do you trade? And we've always heard forever they could put together all these infield prospects, you know, Arias, Freeman, Rocchio, Rocchio, my wife's prospect of the year this year, um, and, you know, Angel Martinez, some of these other guys, and they could just package them for a viable big league player. We've heard this for years; they haven't done it. That would be now the only way that you would get that outfit, or maybe could hit who's younger could hit 15 to 20 homers or something like that, because you're not going to get them for Rosario. In fact, they have. I, I've been told uh, that you know the the Guardians have looked at some possibilities for trading him, and baseball just doesn't have a very high opinion of him. They just think he's well below average defensively. Um, you know, analytics doesn't like him. Because he doesn't, his OPS isn't that high. He doesn't walk that much. Uh, I think he's one of those players that the eye test is better than the numbers. And sometimes the eye test is right. Raja Davis was another one like that that I always liked, but analytics didn't like him because he didn't walk as much or whatever it is. Um, but this year, though, I think he's got 11 errors this year. So after last year, where he at least got up to the average ability, I don't know what's going on with him unless he's in that same funk of, boy, they're going to trade me or this is my last year there. And his head's kind of spinning around with that, but he's not been the same player. And so therefore we see he's not the same player, David, other teams see the same thing. Just like when I said, pretend you're a team that wants to trade for Bieber. I mean, what do you offer? I mean, you might throw some garbage out there to see if Cleveland would take it, but you're not giving up much. No, that's what makes it tough, Terry. Like they're, they're, it's it's so hard being a smaller market team because if you're the Dodgers or the Red Sox, you buy top level talent and that keeps mm-hmm. your minor league stocked, so that when you go to make a trade for like this, you've got guys you can go to. And I feel like the Guardians, like they've had to bring up so many guys. Like there are only, there's only a certain number of guys in the minors you could even entice yeah. somebody with. To it, it just pulls all your talent up quickly, and they're at a disadvantage when it comes to trades. And I wonder if they're going to be a little gun shy. They won't talk about it, but Nolan Jones has gone on to play well with Colorado. They they dumped out of him for a year after a year. I've not looked the last few weeks to see how Will Benson was doing with Cincinnati, but before he was playing pretty well. Uh, Benson, I, I had a lot of doubts about. I just thought his swing was so big, and he would strike out a lot. Uh, Jones was somebody that intrigued me. Uh, I thought he had a chance to for power. They were always telling us how good he is. And then he comes up for one year. He wasn't terrible. And they just kind of let him go. I think they got this kid, Brito, they got a double A for him. Is a very good infield prospect. But Noah Jones would probably be playing quite a bit in the outfield if they had him. So, Terry, if you have to predict whether this team will win the division this year, what would you say, given the, the plight they're in? Well, Minnesota's a mess, too. They've got everybody on their disabled list. The interesting thing on them is they wanted to get their pitching fixed. They got it fixed, and they can't score any runs either. Um, it's hard for me to imagine them, even in the Central Division, with this such a young pitching staff, the bullpen struggling. And as Francona mentioned the other day when I was down there and chatted with him, you know, not only – 
three rookies in your rotation, but you got a rookie catcher. And that, because usually you like that Austin Hedges, uh, Roberto Perez, you like that guy to drag your rookies through the game behind the plate. And they don't have that guy. I mean, Cam Gallagher is a little of that, but he's he's a couple low. You're talking about your couple low Austin Hedges, but he is. And so um, I don't I don't see them winning it. Of course, I keep thinking they'd be 10 to 15 games under 500 with the way things have gone. They always over-deliver on what they yeah. have going, that's for sure. So, All right, Terry, uh, the Guardians are going to be finishing up their three-game series in Pittsburgh, and then they're home this weekend after an off day on Thursday, home Friday, Saturday, Sunday against the Phillies. Saturday night's game is a sellout. How which, about that? Yeah, that was something to see uh, this, this early in the week. And then they have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday next week at home against Kansas City. So, all right, should we take a break? Sure. All right, when we come back, I want to tell you why I think this week – in West Virginia for the Browns could be their most important week of the year. And I want to hear what you think of it. All right. I want to tell you why I want a replica of the summer league championship ring. (laughs) All right. Sounds good. We'll take a break right here and we'll be right back on Terry's talking. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean. You don't just go to the beach. You visit a private Island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back on Terry's talking, David Campbell and Terry Pluto. I left into the break going Browns, Terry, but I want to switch to the Cavs first because so we can wrap up summer league here. The Cavs are summer league champions for the NBA Las Vegas summer league, and uh, I know you have some scribbles that you wrote. You kind of went around the roster, kind of hopping around from guy to guy, and you had some interesting things to say about Amani Bates and and some other guys on the team, Merrill and and, uh, and Isaiah Mobley. Why don't you kind of get into that a little bit? and what you saw from some of them. Well, let's start with the fact that, um, not that they won the thing going 6-0, and but how they played. Mike Garrity's the coach. He coaches the, the uh, Cleveland Charge for them. And I was really impressed with how they played together. They defended. They moved the ball. Um, that's not easy when you throw a bunch of guys together in a few weeks to play. And on top of it, these are players who are trying to be at earnest spot in Cleveland or be spotted by another team because everybody who's anybody in the NBA and talent evaluation is at that um, basically basketball con- summer conference. Uh, it's a convention in Las Vegas. And so if you're, for example, you're Isaiah Mobley or you're um, Sam Merrill or any of these guys, you want people to notice you, and that could really go against team ball. Yet they were by far <clears throat> uh, the most 
basically unselfish, smart team that uh, was playing in the playoffs. I wasn't just saying that the other people out there were watching that. Yeah, and the, I mean, the Cavs winning the championship. I was looking at a lot of stuff today of like, oh, the, the eight best players in summer league, and the Cavs didn't make like any of those lists because it was it was like a team effort. There was no guy who went off and just was like head and shoulders above. It was it was Cavs culture like on display in mm-hmm. the summer league. Like this is what we do. Here's our guys, and and we're just going to go out and play Cavs ball and see what happens. No uh, phenoms and one former phenom. That's what they had. Um, let's start with Bates. Uh, because Amani Bates, you know, I was against drafting him. I just thought he was a kind of a hyped up AAU guy. He goes out his first game. He jacks up 13 shots from three point range. and went four for 13. Guarded nobody. It looked really bad. But somewhere about game three, it started to kick in for him that no, you're a part of this team. You've got a role of making, you know, sort of the stretch four, the power forward to shoot some threes, go to the opposite side of the ball, now and then drive to the rim, try to help a little bit on the boards. Don't, um, it's not about you is really what it came down to. And I believe, you know, Garrity being, listen to me like he's a pretty tough-minded coach. And they have, especially in Sam Merrill and Isaiah Mobley, who played in the for the charge, uh, those guys seem to be running the team. And then they had this guy, Craig Porter Jr., came in from Wichita State, who, while he's a rookie, he looked to me like some guy had been playing in Europe or the, the G League for a while, just one of these tough pros that, you know, has to battle for every minute on the court. And these guys are just not going to put up with any foolishness. And I think uh, Bates knew that. And he fell in. And I give him a lot of credit for that. He fell into what they were doing. And by the end of it, you know, he made second team well, all Las Vegas tournament. Really, Isaiah Mobley should have. Uh, but it was impressive to see that change at the age of 19. Yeah, and it, it was especially defensively for me, Terry. Like there, were, there was a play where he, he coughed up the ball and then had a chase down block. Like mm-hmm. hustled back and he's like, oh, I screwed up. But a lot of guys in this position would have put their head down and like jogged back. And he's like, I'm going to fix this. And it's just little stuff like that that I think you're right was really encouraging. And I thought I thought his best move of the week was um, after they won last night. He tweeted out, "Cleveland, this is for you." Yeah, that was pretty funny. That was good. And <laughs> you know, to that point, early in the early in those games, I saw a couple of times where he made turnovers and he did not run back. Mm-hmm. And I know one time I saw him get taken out of the game. He averaged 17 points, six rebounds, shot 44 percent from the field, and 40 on threes. Um, he needs to play a lot in the G League, but when you see that, you go, okay, there might be something there. He was their 49th pick, and then the other 49th pick from the year before was Isaiah Mobley, and we may have mentioned in the past, but Eric Mobley, Daddy Mobley, who's an assistant coach at USC, he trained these kids. They know how to play. They're old-school defenders. Um, Isaiah is not nearly as physically gifted as Evan. But when they needed a hoop or just the offense to run right, they brought him up to the high post. They threw it to him because he could either score or he was an excellent passer. And they, they had him mic'd up in the last game. And you could hear him calling out defensive switches and everything else. Um, he's 6'9". I really think he could find a spot on the roster. They, they could use another big guy, and especially if he could improve his three-point shooting. Uh, that would be... Uh, valuable. I just, 
these are the kind of where well, nobody we're talking about here is going to become an NBA star unless there's some huge upset. So let's let's frame it all with that. But the For idea sure. of your summer league team is: can you find guys that can help? Besides, you're telling us you being Kobe Altman and company that you have your core four, that you have you know your stars. You got. Um, a future all-star in Mobley, and then the other three players at one time or another have made an all-star team, whether it's Garland or you're talking about Mitchell or you're talking about Jared Allen. And then you signed Struess and you brought in um, uh, Niang, George Niang, and uh, Tyro- uh, Ty Jerome. And by the way, I think uh, Craig Powell Jr. could push Ty Jerome for some of the third third. Uh, being the third point guard, you know, the, the Cavs are loading up point guards, I think, too, because they had to have been concerned with how Rubio struggled coming back from that second ACL. They don't want to say it, but it got to the point. Who would have believed that Rubio would be so bad you couldn't put him on the floor in the playoffs? And after he had a, one or two really bad games for a few minutes, that was the case. Yeah, I mean, and he'll have all summer to kind of get ready for this year, but he will be another year older, mm-hmm. and he's not getting any younger like all of us. So, and it'll uh, depend on the knee, David. You just don't know. That was the problem with him. It was clear he just didn't move as quickly, and that. So, you know, whether we're talking Craig Powell Jr. By the way, CPJ as a couple of, a couple <laughs> of Cavs fans that were ready. Well, why not? You know, and you know, people are are mocking this. I'm having some fun with this. They played good ball. I enjoyed watching those games. My wife, who Roberta played on the very first women's basketball team in Hiram College. And back in the old days when, you know, we could go, we went to summer league with the uh, with the Cavs. By the way, how about summer league in a high school gym in Windsor, Ontario? Nice. I saw Dennis Rodman <laughs> playing there. Where they, where they kept playing the Pistons up there a few times and that. Um, so... You know, she's watched a lot of ball, and she was the same thing in trees, just to see the way they were playing. You know, Luke Travers is a guy I like. Uh, he's going to go play in Australia next year, Six seven, very athletic. Um, our Chris Fedor, and he, Chris is a terrific basketball writer, really well connected with the Cavs. He had in there that uh, Travers is going to be on uh, um, Delhi's, Matthew Delvadova's team in Australia. So good, he'll get another dose of that. Um to way to play because what you're really looking for in this you're looking for role players you're looking for guys do will they play the way you want them to play i mean max Struess came out of this system where he was not drafted he was picked up by the celtics out of out of depaul got cut by the celtics picked up by the bulls played briefly with them got cut picked up by miami went through the g league thing went through the summer league thing and now he's worth 64 million dollars what a country what a league! Yeah, <laughs> to have that happen. So, uh, what do you think? Of, what do you think of Sam Merrill? I never thought that's a question I'd ever bring up on a podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the mission and and Kobe Altman talked about this. The mission of this franchise in the off season was to get some shooters. And I mean, you say this about defensive backs and pitchers all the time, right? There, you mm-hmm. can never have too many. And Sam Merrill was he came up to the to the Cavs toward the end of last season. And he's old, right? He's 27, and yep. it's it's going to have to happen for him. But he looked like he looked like an NBA player out there, and I mm-hmm. I can see it's a long season, and I can see when you know if Niang's knee acts up for a day or two, or somebody gets tendonitis, they Sam Merrill can give them some minutes 
in in good minutes and hit some shots for them. And you can't have too many shooters. I think he could find a role at the end of that bench somehow, right? I think Where so. Where are you at? Yeah, yeah. because you, the old question when you're talking about a player in almost any sport, well, what does he do well? And when shoots. you have to stop to think, that player's in trouble. But when you come up with shoots, I remember, I'm not saying it's going to be like Steve Kerr, but I remember sitting in a summer league gym. This is in Loyola Marymount, and Roberta was with me. And we're sitting there with Wayne Embry, who was a Cavs GM, and Gary Fitzsimmons, who was their player personnel guy. Steve Kerr is on the floor for Phoenix's uh, summer league team. And he had just spent a year on the bench with the Suns, hardly played at all. And he's looking a little like Sam Merrill. He's coming in there, and he's draining these long shots. Not looking terribly athletic, but looking like he knows what he's doing and making shots. And I remember Wayne Embry's going, you know, I kind of liked him in college. And, you know, and then Fitzsimmons is saying, you can never have enough shooting. And, and then they've, they're looking at Phoenix's roster. They go, man, they got a lot of guards. And they traded for him that year. They picked him up for a second or third round pick or something. You know, he makes the team. He plays for a couple of years and goes on to play 15 years or something like that. And, and an NBA champion. Because he had the ability to shoot, and that, that was before analytics had so underlined the need to get three-point shooting. Yeah, he, I think it, what is he got six championship rings or something as a player between uh, being in San Antonio and being with the Bulls. And uh, Now, that's the kind of story you, you tell guys like Sam Merrill. Now, whether Sam Merrill becomes that guy is doubtful. But can he become a guy that plays a few years and makes shots? Can he become something like Danny Green? I don't know. Yeah, why not? Why not, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, all right, Terry. Well, I think we're entering kind of a quiet time for the NBA. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. The NBA is really trying to follow the lead of the NFL and become like a year-round mm-hmm. topic of conversation. They're not only did they make a little presentation at the summer league championship last <laughs> night with the, with the rings and the trophies, but there's also like an NBA convention. Like you said, yeah. it's, they're trying to make it where every month there's something. And I'm, I'm going to be watching that because I want to see how they do it and whether it works. Uh, and there's gonna be a lot of competition for sports fans attention. So the NBA is trying to get right in there and mix it up. So, but there's going to be a slow time and then we'll get into September and it'll be time to talk about training camps. So. But there's only one team that most people care about. David. They are the orange are helmets <laughs> headed to West Virginia. They are. So I'm probably we... the only guy, by the way, who thinks this because I have been in that area, not at Greenbrier. That's the two exclusive resort or whatever. But I have been in that southern West Virginia, Virginia area, like I'm staying in Lewiston. And I've stayed there actually before because I've hiked parts. Not the Appalachian Trail isn't there, but other trails around there. And I love that area. So for me. I'm down with it, although I'm going to be working. But nonetheless, now what the players think of it, I don't know. Of course, I guess the Greenbrier Resort is like way, forget above my pay grade. It's like above my galaxy, you know. (laughs) It's like way out there. All right, well, let's reset this for Browns fans a little bit, Terry. So rookies and quarterbacks are going to report tomorrow, which is Wednesday the 19th. Mm -hmm. And the rest of the roster is going to report on Friday. Uh, Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, has kind of laid all this out in a post at cleveland.com slash Browns if you want to check it out. So on Saturday, then, the team's going to fly down to the Greenbrier in West Virginia. They're going to have their first practice 345, just going to be a walkthrough. By the way, 
you want yeah. me to break the news of where they are staying, had to fly to to get to the Greenbrier. I had to go to a very high source to find that out. I can't even imagine where. Roanoke, Virginia. No kidding. Yeah, because I was guessing Beckley, West Virginia. I was guessing wrong. And I told them, well, you've got well over an hour ride, but it's some pretty country. Wow. All right. Well, they're going to get there Saturday, and they'll drive from Roanoke, I guess, on on Saturday. That morning morning, yeah. Yeah. And then over the next few days, they're going to have practices in the morning, uh, some without pads, and then they'll move into pads after that. Their first day off is next Wednesday, July 26th. Uh, Kevin Stefanski said during minicamp, hopefully there's no cell phone service (laughs) so that the players can focus. But that kind of gets me to what I wanted to ask you about, Terry. I, I think that if the Browns go deep into the playoffs this year and have a really good run, I think that this week at Greenbrier is going to be the most important week of the season for them. And here's why I think they're going down there and they're not going to beat each other up. They have to start training camp so early because of the hall of fame game they're playing in and Joe Thomas and all that. But this week down there, they've got so many new guys they signed and the draft picks. And, and this is going to be like a team bonding week and hang out and let's get to know each other and let's have some fun in addition to football. And I think this is going to go a long way toward making those guys uh, a unit and the chemistry come along in a very fast way. And I think you might see more and more of this in sports where teams are not working guys as hard and going to more of this team building approach. You know, the Blackhawks who I follow, they just had a prospect camped like, Two weeks ago, they had all their top young players in. There were probably 25 or 30 of them. They spent three days, like, they took some boxing classes and did breathing exercises and took a cooking class together, and they went on a boat tour. And I think that's the kind of stuff that Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Berry know that's got to happen to make a team a team. So I think this is a pretty important week. Am I wrong? What do you think? Well, there's no downside to it. That's what I always like when you're trying something, whether you don't really see there'll be a negative effect. And I can't see any negative effect. Secondly, they certainly have enough money to go run out the green briar or anything else they want to do with the Browns and the NFL. So uh, thirdly, by the way, they'll have plenty of cell phone service because you could be sure the other rich folks staying down there at the green briar are not going to be very <laughs> happy if they're away from their cell phones for more than two seconds. So I'm sure there uh, there is that. And they've had other teams at that resort, too, in the past. I wonder if it will help them, which is what I'm interested in, getting off to a better start. Because um, you've got the three division opponents in the first four games, and and I think Tennessee is the other one, is it not? Yes. So – and you could say, well, Tennessee's not that good or whatever. I mean, we've said – we've had enough of those teams that are not that good knocking off the Browns early in the season and everything else. So, um, uh, you know, it's important because you go into that bye week and you're one and three and you're losing all these teams in a division. You know how that goes. That's that's just ugly. So if this could help them get them set up, same thing with when they go play Philadelphia in those uh, workouts with the Eagles. Because you know this. They're not going to play their starters much in these preseason games. Fans can, and the media can cry all they want about it. They're not because they're just terrified somebody's going to blow a knee or something, and that's that. 
And that's why the two practices against the Eagles out in Philly are more important than the preseason game they're playing against Philly because it's a controlled environment and the quarterbacks can't be touched and all that. So, um, all right, well, we'll see how that goes, Terry. I, I think it's an interesting way to do mm-hmm. things. And I think that they're, it's probably going to, I think it's part of a trend that you might see in sports more and more where they're doing more stuff like this, but uh, all right, real quick, Terry. We last week you mentioned the Browns is the Browns comment by Juju Smith-Schuster back before the playoffs in 2020, and we got a, a an email from Jack and Erie, a longtime friend of the show. Before I forget, if you want to send us a comment question, email us at sports at cleveland.com, and you can put Terry's talking or Hey Terry in the subject line. But this one is from Jack. He says, "Hi guys, Terry referencing the Browns is the Browns by mm-hmm. Juju Smith Schuster. He couldn't be more right." The Ravens and the Steelers have had psychological edges on the Browns for years. How about this? In the regular season, the Browns haven't beaten the Ravens when Lamar Jackson played since week four of 2019. They they have not beaten the Steelers in the regular season when their starting quarterback played since, wait for it, week six of 2014. Technically, Trubisky was the Steelers starter at the time when the Browns won last season, but we all know he was just buying time for Pickett. So that's how Jack says that. He says, I know this discounts the playoff win, but it has been stunningly clear that Tomlin and Harbaugh have their teams in the Browns' heads. Even in 2020, the Browns were 2-3 and three against Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Until this changes, the Browns will be nothing more than an average team trying for a wild card. What do you think, Terry? Are these teams in the Browns' heads, or is this like these guys are here to make money and win? They don't really care about what happened three years ago or beyond. They're better than the Browns over the years. That's the problem. They're in their heads, and they're in their, and they're also in their shoulder pads, knocking them off the line of scrimmage. I mean, they really are. Especially if you talk about the Steelers and you talk about the um, the Ravens, and you hear the whole culture thing tossed around. How many years now is it? Mike Thomas coaching? I forgot whether it's eighteen or whatever it is. He hasn't had a losing season. It's incredible. And when they played the Browns in that last game um, in Pittsburgh, in fact, I taped that thing. I'm going to go look at it again because I wanted to say they play. They had this like 1% chance of making the playoffs. You know, the, the moon had to fall out of the sky and then they would get in. But that wasn't why. They were playing because they were not going to be the team that had a losing record for Mike Tomlin. They played for something. And the Browns played that game like they just wanted it over. And I've seen too much of that at the end of the season when the Browns face the Steelers and the one side says, this game matters. The other side says, I've just had it. Not every player in an orange helmet was that way, but enough of them were. And so from the point of until that changes, there's a culture there and there's a talent there. But the way sometimes you overcome a lack of talent, as the Steelers, I would argue, last year did not have as good a talent as the Browns, but their culture and their coaching staff was stronger. Can he pick it, please? I mean, maybe he ends up being really good, but, you know, he was a rookie kid. He was a rookie struggling. And they just, I mean, they had Deshaun running from one end of that stadium to the other. Some of it was Deshaun's fault, some wasn't. But they had the Browns panicked in that game. I think Deshaun got sacked seven times. Uh, They came at it, with, and they had a game plan set to win. They came at them hard from different angles, and they just decided if we lose, we're not going to sit there and go, why did we save those two plays? What were we waiting for, next year? 
Well, Terry, there's a lot of Browns fans who would say this team quit in week six and week nine. And mm-hmm. there were there were a lot of guys who didn't show up last year, especially on that defense, I thought. so. Well, maybe this year they won't have anybody saying, well, I, I don't want to play on third down or no, I don't want to play on first and second. I forgot whatever Clowney didn't want to play. But <laughs> maybe that's that, why they, they're down in Greenbrier deciding who's going to play yeah, and what but, the No, but that was a classic example, though, David. It was. Of what the two teams Clowney tore open the curtain of what was going on in some of those defensive meetings, saying that Miles Garrett is getting preferential treatment uh, because he's getting better matchups. Also because, and this second part I heard, first part I discount, that was his Clowney whining, but uh, that he wasn't really challenged as much in these film sessions as some other players were. And then secondly, that Clowney just said, well, the heck with it. I only play when I want to play. And, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm only playing on third down. I forgot what it was. Doesn't matter. That's the point. I'd never heard that in my life. I'm not saying it never happened. I'm just saying I never heard it. And if he was, and Mary Kay has it all on tape and more. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. If he, half of that stuff was true. Um, Joe Witt should have been fired at midseason. And they should have brought in, which I wanted to do anyway because I'd seen enough of it. They needed a stronger presence, and Andrew Barry knew that. And, yes, technically Stefanski hired Jim Schwartz, but this was a Barry guy going back to the relationship in Philadelphia. And the fact they knew that, okay, it may get ugly, but you're not going to have I don't want to play on third down or whatever down you don't want to play on. So that part's, that part's good because that's your culture. The two cultures were really on display in that last game in Pittsburgh. And that's not going to happen this year. None of that stuff's happening. No, I mean, you like said, maybe get ugly. You may see three starters <laughs> sitting on the bench, and you may want to – Kevin may have a hard time explaining what it was, but you can be probably pretty sure it was the defensive coordinator just said, uh, I'm not putting up with that. And remember what the Browns – um, the defensive coordinator, in effect, is the head coach of the defense. Now, I would argue that Stefanski could have been. If I were Stefanski and I were hearing that stuff about what Clowney was saying with the Baltimore game of six weeks ago or whatever, I mean, his butt's not playing. He's getting fined. He's suspended for a game or whatever. You you can't have that. I don't care whether my defensive coordinator thinks this is okay or will get past it or not. No, you can't. It was a sign of weakness. It never works out in the long run when you let that stuff No, and go especially on. a guy who's kind of known for iffy attitudes. Yeah. All right, so the Browns are down in Virginia, West Virginia, start, and, yeah. I guess, and Virginia. They're going to be in both mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday, and uh, they'll be down there for a week and then back to Berea for some training camp, and then we'll be heading into the Hall of Fame festivities for Joe Thomas and the Hall of Fame game. So, David, what are you hoping for, like, with the Browns? What, like, what are you feeling right now? For in terms of a record, or what? Just what do you mean about the team? Uh, I want to see guys playing for each other and and being accountable, uh, especially on defense. I, I saw too many guys who wouldn't stick their nose in to make a tackle last year. the the running The run defense last year was an embarrassment, and that's you can't lose like that. And I, I want to see accountability and guys playing for each other every play. I think that'll speak to where the Browns are at as a team and, and as a culture. What do you want to see? They literally had finger pointing. Because remember in the, in the secondary, they, li- they literally, you say literally, but a lot of times it doesn't mean literal. But no, we could, we could produce the pictures. 
a JJ, what was his name, Johnson, back there pointing at Denzel Ward, and Denzel Ward saying that um, Pro Football Focus unfairly <laughs> said he blew some coverages he didn't blow because the safety should have covered him. See, all that garbage, that's got to go. Now, I've been told, we'll see, that Schwartz's coverages are much simpler and, to your point, makes accountability much easier. Well, and there's an old Buddy Ryan story about how he told Richard Dent one time, listen, you haven't gotten a sack in three weeks, and if you don't get one today, I'm going to bench you. Mm-hmm. Now get out there and do it. And that's that's what's going to happen with this defense. Jim Schwartz is going to say, we're playing man today, and you're going to cover this guy, and you're going to cover him up and down the field. So if you don't cover him, it's your fault. You can point the finger at yourself. Yeah, And, and you, I think we're going to see have, a lot more man-to-man. You will have help from a safety in this area. But the rest of the time you're on your own. That's why you're. That's why they put all this money into the defense and defensive backs, and we're going to really go after the quarterback to try to help you out. And we'll see. I am curious to see how the whole linebacker thing plays out with him, because um, I'm not sure how he uses linebackers. I'm not really good enough on the, the, the X's and O's of that stuff to know. But I want to see, like you said, that. Um, the accountability, and I want to see that really in the secondary, both strategically set up so it's very clear who's accountable, and then see the guys do it. And if you get beat, you're going to get beat sometime. I mean, you just are. Yeah, and and that's okay. Point the finger at yourself, but at exactly. least you know whose job it was and what they were supposed to be doing. So I'm really looking forward to next week, Terry. I want to hear you're going to be down there, and I want to hear your, your take on what you're seeing uh, down in West Virginia. So that'll be good for next week. So um, all right. Can we talk about your faith column real quick? I, I, I it's a, it's a, an amazing topic. It's about funerals and how people behave at funerals. Why don't you talk about what you're writing about for this weekend in your faith and you column? Well, sort of like what not to do or say at funerals. Um, it came from I forgot who was telling me. Oh, one of the stories. Actually, I have two stories now. Rule number one: Don't ask somebody for a date at a funeral. Just don't do it. I have one in the column now about this lady said that somebody asked her for a date there. Well, when I was working out, I was telling a friend of mine there about that. She goes, I'll go, I'll one up that one. She says, my best friend, she, uh, she died. We're at the funeral. We're standing like five feet away from the open casket. And her husband asked me to go to lunch next week. Oh, and I said, uh, this is like way too creepy, <laughs> man. Now that's those are things there, but then other things like uh, uh, somebody. I asked some people on my Facebook page for ideas about uh, funerals and like what not to do. Also, some what to do. But one guy said he was, I think, sixteen when his dad died, and somebody came up to him and said, "Well, you're the man of the house now." And you know, his he was already messed up, but hearing that, that does not. Another guy said. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a, you know, death in the fountain. Now, you need to be strong. I don't feel like being strong right now. And then when somebody tells you to be strong, you feel like they're saying you're weak. So there's a lot going on there. And then other things about uh, how you can support people. It turned out to even be a much more um, in-depth column than I originally meant because I thought I'd just kind of get these these creepy and weird stories, which I did, about funerals, but then also some ideas on how to handle people and uh, who have, who've lost somebody. So that's coming this weekend. 
Yep, be on Cleveland.com on Saturday and the Plain Dealer on Sunday. The other thing, Terry, I, I don't know that you got a story about this, but I this happened when the Queen died. People put your phone away when yes. you're at a, a certain like you shouldn't be taking a selfie as the Queen's funeral procession go like <laughs> what are you doing? It's supposed to be a solemn, respectful thing. Put your phone away and act in a solemn and respectful way. It's pretty simple, right? It really is. And then also just kind of what the one the one prevailing thing that everybody wanted to hear that wrote in at least was tell them something good about the person who died, what they meant to you. I mean, one of the, one of the awful things, my mother died. This lady comes up to me after the, uh, at least she didn't do it in front of others, but kind of the wake is breaking up and we're getting ready to leave. She comes up to me. She goes, now there's some things you really need to know about your mother. Now, I mean, I'm telling you that the casket's just leaving the building, you know. I'm like, no, I don't. And I walked away. So I don't know what all that was, and I don't need to hear it. But it's like, this is not a time to ask for dates or settle scores. Yeah, it's not about you. No. Not about you. So, all right, we'll check out that column this weekend, Terry's Faith and You. So, all right, Terry, we got a couple of quick things to wrap up here. Let's see how we're doing on time. We're doing all right. We got time for at least one of these. Uh, this one is from Neil Hausch from Akron, and Neil is a longtime writer inner to the show, if I could call him that. He says, yep. hey, Terry. Hey, Terry, when I was 14 in the eighth grade, my language arts teacher was an extra in the movie Gettysburg during Pickett's Charge. Ooh. His uncle was a professional reenactor as General Longstreet. We read the book Killer Angels. That's when my appreciation for the Civil War and especially the Battle of Gettysburg started. I could probably still quote from memory most of Chamberlain's speech to the group of soldiers on strike. Your mention of that book flooded my mind with great memories of learning and visiting that hallowed ground in Pennsylvania. Blessings, Terry. And that, again, that's from Neil in Akron, Ohio. Thanks for that, Neil. And so you have been you wrote about the anniversary of Gettysburg, and um, one of Neil the, was reminded of some stuff. One of the highest rated faith columns I have ever um, – written you know in terms of uh internet hits um it, it ranks up there with the uh what do you do about the guy holding the sign you know i wrote a, a two two columns on that people that hold the sign on the freeways do you give them exits do you give them money or not so i'm not sure what that says about our audience but holding signs asking for money and gettysburg but now we have stupid stuff to say at funerals and we'll see how that goes in the uh yeah, well, on the on the internet hit business. We'll have to track that for next week. All right, yeah. here's our last question again. Hit us at sports at cleveland.com if you want to send something in. This is from Ed Raditz from Sandusky, and Ed has written us before, and he says, uh, "Hey Terry and David, you mentioned in this week's podcast, or actually last week's, that former Guardian Bobby Bradley is out of baseball. I actually was thinking about him recently as well, and found myself scrolling through the internet that you're partially correct." He's out of Major League Baseball, but he currently plays for the independent team, the Charleston Dirty Birds in Charleston, West Virginia. He's third Ooh, in the, the league. The, the Browns <laughs> could have a team outing to Charleston <laughs> to see Bobby Bradley. It's That's only, right. let's see, I've driven from Charleston. It's about, oh, maybe an hour and a half. You could go <laughs> for it. Ed says he's third in the league with 20 home runs and is batting 270. It reminds me of Cleveland pitcher Scott Casimir, who had played for the Sugarland Skeeters, an independent league team in 2012, and then he pitched for Cleveland for his MLB comeback in 2013. We definitely could use 20-plus home runs in Cleveland by Bradley, but first base is currently occupied. He did have enough chances here in the majors, but never lived up to the big home run production he had in the minors. 
So Terry, looks like Ed is holding out hope of a comeback by Bobby Bradley. I guess we'll see if that comes to pass from the Charleston Dirty Birds. So it'd be fun a, to see. It'd be a fun story, wouldn't it, if you yeah, found well, if his you way would. back in the, the major The difference is that a couple of those other guys that did it actually were good at one time in the majors, had injuries or something else, and then you know put themselves back together. Bobby just hasn't you know, because of the high strikeout rate. But he is a very, you know, they tried really to get Bobby Bradley on the team. Remember him and Yu Chang opened the season. How about that? They were in opening day lineup, I believe, in 2022. And they played them all spring. I remember watching Bradley in spring training struggle mightily in Arizona, where in the past he had been very good. So, well, I'm glad he's hitting 20 home runs there, and he might get picked up by somebody, and at least for a double or triple A contract. Be a great movie someday if it ever gets uh, to happen. So, all right, Terry, I think we're done here, right? Anything else? That'll do it. I want to present you with the trophy and the ring for being the uh, MVP of today's podcast. So here you go. Here's the virtual trophy. All right. Well, that <laughs> I am the best guest on all of Terry talking podcasts. <laughs> all right. Thanks for all the letters, everybody and emails. We appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening and we will talk to you next week. on Terry's talking.